You're listening to the Ask Drone You podcast. You ask, we answer your drone questions. Whether you're here to turn your passion into profit or you simply fly for fun, we're a community of learners and teachers who aspire to achieve greatness. We are Drone You. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another interesting episode of Ask Drone You. Thank you very much for being here with us, listening to other shows. Thank you for supporting the show through membership if you are a Drone You member. If you are not a Drone You member, you can become a member at thedroneyou.com forward slash become a member. Uh, and you just add hyphens between become a and a member. But that said, uh, very grateful that you are here joining us today as always. And as always, my name still starts with a P, still ends with an L, and you can call me Paul. <laughs> Indeed. And I'm still Rob. And uh, yeah, glad to be here with you and looking forward to doing some shows. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, we have a very interesting show today. Uh, very, uh, If you're into mapping, I think you're really going to like this. It's like really driving into detail. Uh, regarding uh, georeferencing and absolute accuracy versus relative accuracy. Very interesting and specific question. Uh, and it actually comes today from Mexico. And I have to say, Rob, when I was in Mexico in 2016 doing some drone work, it was uh, the most active drone location I'd ever seen. Uh, pretty much there was a drone over every construction site in uh, Cabo San Lucas. I mean, in, back in 2016. Yeah. Know? Yeah, so, talk about wild, wild west. Seriously, but I mean, it just goes to show how when the, the value of drones is understood um, clearly that they're deployed often, you know? So, Absolutely. But that said, uh, today's show is brought to you by Drone. You launched a brand new educational platform. It's really built to make the lives of drone programs and managers much easier because you can manage and delegate all sorts of nuanced training verticals and know exactly when your well pilots have completed certain steps, have actually proven their currency and proven their proficiency. And this is a great opportunity because we have a mapping question today uh, to tell everyone if you are a drone you member, you do have access to our comprehensive mapping class. In 2019, we refilmed that drone mapping class, added a lot more information to it. I think it added about three or four hours of content to that class. And that is now uh, available through uh, the Drone You Props mapper platform and that mapper platform also includes uh the don't crash course operations course maintenance course uh flight over water and some other mapping related courses as well but remember with props it's all about professional reliable operators practicing safety so it's really a comprehensive program a step-by-step hold your hand sequential training that you really can't mess up and you're even rewarded as the training is gamified because as you pass certain quizzes you are actually given resources and shortcuts to make your life easier if you're ready to dive down the mapping hole as a single operator or you're trying to build a drone program to essentially provide mapping deliverables you've got to check out the prop Mapper platform. You can go to propsflightschool.com or props.thedroneu.com. Hi, my name is Eduardo. First of all, I just wanted to say thank you guys for all the content you post. I'm fairly new to drones and still trying to catch up on your guys' videos. I'm looking to get started with the drone mapping business in Mexico. I currently have a Phantom 4 version 2. My processing software is Pixferty Mapper. I'm currently using a total station for mapping. My question is, is it completely necessary to have a GNSS receiver to lay out ground control points, 
or can I do that arbitrarily with coordinates in my total station if geolocation isn't my goal and there are no reference points nearby? I'm still looking to get centimeter position. Or could that simply be achieved in the processing program with horizontal and vertical constraints? Once again, thanks for all the help and all the advice you give to the community. Thank you, Eduardo. Great question. And uh, love the way you asked it, actually. Good detail. And I think you're kind of excited to answer this one, actually. Yeah, I was excited uh, to answer this one. And I am excited to answer this one uh, just because, as many of you know, I, uh, I really love drone mapping. It's one of those few verticals in the industry that requires great technical skill, but also creative intuition to complete certain jobs. So yeah, absolutely, Rob. It's, uh, it's something I, I thoroughly enjoy. Um, in fact, we're actually having another mapping class here at HQ in November, the 17th through the 20th, if you want to join us for an in-person class. So let's go through this question really quick. Eduardo, I just have to say, I agree with Rob 100% on uh, the eloquence in which you asked that question. So just just to make sure I have it clear, he, Rob, it seems like he is asking, uh, kind of as we discussed in pre-show, right. uh, that, he, that he essentially needs centimeter precision, but geolocation is not important. Uh, I like the way you described it in terms of your can relative to your computer relative to the world. Yeah. So, so do es- that again. So essentially what I think the real question is, is, is really a differentiation between absolute accuracy and relative accuracy, right? So to essentially go down the same rabbit hole I did in pre-show with Rob, what I think he's asking for is, look, I need centimeter grade accuracy, but not geolocated. So essentially, I need to know how far this can is from this laptop. I don't need to know where in the world that is. So absolute accuracy is essentially how accurate is your map in relation to the real world, whereas relative accuracy is essentially how accurate is one object's distance to another object's distance essentially in the map. So is like if I know that the distance between the can and the laptop is two and a half centimeters, am I going to get that same relative accuracy uh, in my map? So I just want to make that that, that clear first, um, because it sounds like he's after relative accuracy. And there's a couple of things I also want to go over just to make sure I, I hit them really fast, Rob. Um, that is, you know, he talks about he's got a total station and he asks, do I need a GNSS receiver? I think this kind of goes back to the whole having um, a, a, a fixed point or a fixed total station and then having what we call a GNSS rover um, that essentially speaks with that total station so that we can get like a, essentially a double form of accuracy. And I mean, absolute accuracy. Now, a couple of things. One thing I picked up on and I'm not sure and Eduardo, forgive me, I'm not uh, I'm not saying you lack information. I'm just trying to better understand. Um, but it sounds like based off of his question regarding the GNSS rover and the total station that there may be some confusion about ground control points as a whole, which brings me back to uh, ground control points in photogrammetry, in drone mapping, are two parts. One part GPS, so knowing the actual point in the world. And then the second part is the target, the ability to see that target and that point 100 feet uh, in the air so that you can adequately mark that point and actually geolocate the map as a whole. 
Now that said, you can utilize a total station to mark GCPs and gather georeferencing. It is a more cumbersome and complex process. Uh, typically, total stations output uh, in an arbitrary coordinate system. So I've seen some students really struggle with taking that arbitrary coordinate system and converting it into a known coordinate system. Um, I'm not really sure what the standards are in Mexico. So let's just say that he uses WGS-84, uh, which is the world geodetic system, uh, the one that essentially your drone takes photos in. It's that coordinate system. Mm. Uh, and so I don't know if he's asking, can I use just the total station? Do I have to have a GNSS receiver slash rover with my total station? Or, uh, you know, can I just use nothing, right? If he's after... If he's after relative accuracy and he's not after actually georeferencing the map as a whole, then the answer is you don't need any of that stuff. Um, because if you're not georeferencing the map, then why would you need GCPs? Okay. Now that said, can he georeference a map with just a total station? Uh, the answer is semi yes uh, you would still need some sort of target on the ground again that target is really supposed to be 40 times GSD ground sampling distance so if he's going for a centimeter we want it to be at least 40 centimeters uh, with length so that we can really ensure that we mark our points in the most accurate means possible because there's still an issue with the human error the ellipsoid error the projection error uh, that that uh, drone pilots can inject to maps to make them uh, more error prone. But let's talk really quick about if we are just creating a map slash model and it does not need to be geo-referenced, what can we do to ensure a high relative accuracy, meaning the, the can of tea is actually, you know, a stated distance from my computer and make sure that our map slash model uh, showcases that. He's right about using scale constraints, but I don't think his question, by the way, I appreciate the question. I don't think the question paints the full picture or is adequate because he talks about horizontal and vertical scale constraints. So here's, here's Rob's mapping test. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but on the spot. Uh, <laughs> Let's do it. How many axes of GPS are there? Three. Perfect. Perfect answer. Okay. Taking that answer mm -hmm. and applying Paul's logic into asking you questions. Oh, no. <laughs> Wait a minute. Paul's logic. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, no. Okay. Knowing that there are three axes of GPS, what do you think is the minimum number of scale constraints that we should have in any given uh, map or model? Three. Perfect answer. Yes, that's correct. Now, normally, in order to ensure relative accuracy across the entire map, you would need multiple scale constraints because we have found, uh, thanks to Mr. On Good Seeing, who no longer teaches photogrammetry, uh, but we have found through data, agreed on that point, uh, we have found through data that if you have scale constraints or GCPs, more than 500 lateral feet from each other, you do get a reduced relative accuracy, hmm. okay? Now, another thing to note, if Eduardo decides to do, let's say, a double grid acquisition plan, 
And then he does like orbital data or uh, oblique data or something else outside of the autonomous data. That will actually reduce the relative accuracy when you add multiple uh, flight plans over one another. Now, you can eliminate that problem with manual tie points, but it's not always fully eliminated. So that said, assuming the relative accuracy goal of, let's say, a centimeter or two centimeters, he has got to fly one very low, Two, he's got to make sure he did a compass calibration uh, in a place without magnetic interference mm -hmm. um, and done correctly uh, to reduce essentially any error from the aircraft itself. He also has to ensure a very high level of overlap. And he really needs to stick with one acquisition plan, which uh, dependent on what he's mapping, let's say that he is in a even a semi-urban environment, I still recommend a double grid. I really do. Uh, I think even with a 70-degree tilt, he's going to be fine on the relative accuracy. It's when we add in those higher levels of oblique that the relative accuracy goes down. On the overlap, you said a high level of overlap. What is a high level? So typically a standard level of overlap that we teach uh, through our comprehensive mapping class is a 75-75. So 75 frontal overlap, 75 side lap. Uh, for what he's trying to do, wow. um, I would say maybe an 80-80. You know, anytime you go over uh, 80, you really add a significant amount of time in the air. I so. would think... 80 adds a lot of time. Oh, uh, it's definitely going to add time. <laughs> that's for sure. But I got you. Okay. Yeah. But at least he's got the right drone to do the mapping. True. Um, so that said, if I understand the question correctly, which that could be wrong, um, but if I understand the, the question correctly, georeferencing is not important. He still wants to get a high relative accuracy. He's got to fly very low. If he has undulating terrain, he has to use terrain awareness, okay? He cannot fly at multiple altitudes because that's going to inhibit the relative accuracy. He's got to add scale constraints. What I tell people with ground control points, and to make this illustration better, is that um, you really want to add ground control points like tables of a leg, or excuse me, like oh, tables of a leg, like legs of a table. <laughs> I'm obviously haven't woken up yet. Um, like legs of a table. And in order to get the best georeferencing or even the best relative accuracy when it comes to, let's say, using scale constraints instead of GCPs, you still want to essentially uh, distribute those scale constraints across the mapping area like legs of a table okay so in his in his um goals of high relative accuracy i would recommend say nine scale constraints right maybe i mean really if we really want to do our job here we want to do 12 okay um but i have found that oftentimes it's not necessary so what he can do is he can take let's say a tape measure um, he can also use real-world objects. Remember, scale constraints are supposed to be on flat areas. They're not supposed to be in shadowed areas because if you create an MTP over a shadowed area, it tends to move. So that injects error. 
So that said, what he could do is let's say he had a scale constraint here. He had a scale constraint in like over here. I'm pointing to one corner of my laptop. And then on the opposite corner, he had a couple and then maybe a few distributed in the middle. The hardest thing is the vertical scale constraints, which is something that I wanted to develop here at DroneU for a while is a vertical scale constraint. Because when it comes to scale constraints, you really want them to be 20 feet or more. The bigger the scale constraint, the more accuracy relatively that you will get. Okay. Hmm. The smaller the scale constraint, the less opportunity for correction. So um, that said, let's say he's got multiple scale constraints set up like a leg of a table. He's got a couple of vertical scale constraints and uh, uh, he's got them distributed properly. As long as he flies low, he does the image acquisition properly. He should be able to get a very high relative accuracy. But this is another important point to talk about that we talk about in the, um, the mapping class. I call it my, how do you know you're being lied to at a conference uh, port module? So, <laughs> very short module. Very short module. Uh, yeah, about five minutes. Uh, but uh, no, I always go back to, you know, when I was teaching at the PIX40 conference in Denver a couple of years ago, uh, there were, I think it was 250 or 300 people at the entire conference. And I literally had 80% of everyone in my talk, right. which I felt really, really, really good about. I felt really bad for Bill English, though, because he was speaking at the same time in the other room and had very few people. <laughs> so I feel huh. like I've stolen Bill's thunder. So, sorry, Bill. I'm, uh, sure, I'm sure he'll get you back. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm sure too, actually. Uh, but that said, there was another talk right after his, which was like how you can get one millimeter accuracy. And I always talk to my students in class and I say, do you know how we know for a fact that he is lying? And, and every once in a while, I get a student who raises their hand and they're like, we know he's lying because whether it's relative accuracy or absolute accuracy, your accuracy is only as good as your GSD, your ground sampling distance. Your, ground, your accuracy can only be as good as a multiple of GSD. So let's say GSD is an inch. Relatively speaking, we're going to be good at 1x to 3x our GSD. So because most people are just taking 20 megapixel images flying at, let's say, 100 feet, there is no physical, technical, possible way in hell that someone can get a one millimeter accuracy. It, what about on Earth? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so, <laughs> so explain to the folks quickly how they're going to get that GSD down. So ground sampling distance, as we talked about in the show here a couple times, also in the props mapper class, uh, which we go in very, very minute detail about. Ground sampling distance is a factor of three variables. Sensor size, so there's the sensor size of the camera, the altitude that you're flying, and the focal length of the camera. Okay. Typically, the best means of uh, reducing the ground sampling distance is by lowering the altitude. But there's only so low that you can go, right? Most apps, it's like... It's <laughs> Before like, you hit the building. Th that too. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah. most apps, the lowest you can go is like 60 feet. 
Okay. Mm, I didn't know that. Which, if I remember, is like the equivalent of like half a centimeter. I can't, I, I don't have the calculator in front of me. I mean, I technically do, but I'm not pulling it up. But that said, if he wants to get the one centimeter, not millimeter, one centimeter accuracy, he's got to fly really low. And really low is 80, 100? I would have to, out here. That's okay. You know, I, yeah, I didn't mean to have you do that, but. Um, well, here, here's, a, here's a trivia question while I pull this up. Okay. How many centimeters are in an inch? Isn't it like three point something? 2.54. 2.54. Should be able to figure that out from like doing, yeah, never mind. I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> well, we bring this up because if GSD, let's say, is 0.35 inches at 100 feet, would that get us? One centimeter. 0.35 would be like three, yeah? Yes, it would. It would be a little under. So about 100 feet is this maximum altitude. Okay. So that's if he's flying a Phantom 4 Pro version 2, which, see, I have it set up in the calculator right there. Yeah. So now, this is also really quick. Talking about the future, this is why I'm so excited about the FreeFly drone, the Sony AirPeak drone, because now you're taking a sensor that's mm-hmm. much larger, right? And it's 42, 40, 50 megapixels ish. And you don't have to fly as low to get the same quality. Yeah. So you're in the air for less time. Right. You know? But it does give you the opportunity to get even better quality if you do continue to fly at 100 feet. 100%. Or whatever, which is kind of exciting too. 100%. Yeah, 100%. So Hmm. I'm very excited because these new drones, whenever the hell they do come out, (laughs) uh, seriously, what a joke. Uh, But whenever they do come out, the efficiency that drones give in construction, in volumetric measurements for quarries, for landfills, for public works, for planning... The efficiency is now going to be off the charts. I mean, literally, the time that it's going to take to acquire the same data will be half. Um, The one thing that I would warn everyone when you are selecting a newer drone uh, in your mapping business is be careful that your camera sensor does not go over 50 megapixels. Okay, that's important because you're going to have to pay more money to process said imagery, thus decreasing financial efficiency. Really? Yes. Me? Uh, yeah, okay. I just take your word for it. Well, that's the case on Pix40 Mapper. Uh, I know it's the case in other softwares as well. I don't know off the top of my head all of them, but for m- vast majority, and he's using Pix40 Mapper, yeah. he will pay more money for a 50 megapixel shot. Now, it's also important to note like the A7R4 or whatever, I believe is rated at 60 megapixels, but I think that's raw. And so if you shoot a JPEG, it should go down. I forget how much the megapixel count goes down because it crops in from the edges. Um, so I, I don't know exactly what that crop factor is. That said, it is an important thing to know if you're out there looking for a new, uh, new drone hmm. to buy. Very interesting. Meaning you have to get a different version of Mapper, a more expensive version. More expensive version. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yep. I didn't know that. Wow. Yep. I feel we've learned a lot today. I feel like I learn a lot every day. Uh, I wish there were more things I could teach at this level of depth, but drone stuff definitely seems to be my knack. So, Well, it's because you enjoy it and love it, and that's what it takes. I am the living uh, proof of Angela Duckworth's grit book, but I still have lots to learn. So, 
That'll never end. That's true. Until we end. That's true. If you're interested in learning more about drone mapping, though, as a DroneU member, you do have access to our comprehensive mapping class and over six hours of advanced mapping resources. If you thrive in a more structured environment where you need uh, content delivered at a specific pace, at a specific sequence, in chronological order, if that helps you, check out the Props Mapper program. I promise, I think that you will be stunned. It's also a quick reminder, the Props Mapper mapping class has been updated, and so it includes more information. So uh, hope that you all enjoy that. I do say thank you for the question, Eduardo. Really do appreciate the level of detail. Love detailed questions. If you have a question, go to askdroneu.com. Throw in some of those business questions. Throw in some of those creative questions. Uh, there's a lot of news probably hitting the market this week uh, that's going to affect all of us. So uh, it's going to be very interesting. I know we also have a question uh, regarding uh, remote ID that came in regarding, you know, what drones to fly, to fly over people, etc. And uh, I think we will get to that one. I will say, though, there's a slight delay on that because I've really had an intellectual conundrum with Rob about how much does this really matter when things are being challenged, when we're getting new drones all the time and the market is just evolving so rapidly, like how much does it matter? So if you've thrown in a question, hasn't been answered yet, it will get answered, but we do really appreciate those questions. Also, last uh, little housekeeping if you are a DroneU member and you haven't downloaded the app yet, highly recommend that you do so. Uh, the engagement is off the roof right now, or it's through the roof right now, excuse me. And uh, yeah, to see like 30 to 50 notifications every morning is actually really uh, awesome because we're, we're uh, I feel like the engine is is back on, Rob, and uh, yeah. I'm grateful for that. So thank you to all you DroneU members. If you haven't downloaded the app, download it at your convenience. Yeah, you might not even be aware that we're not the community is not on Facebook anymore, yeah. uh, which might excite you. It has excited many who have uh, downloaded the app. So don't wait. Get on there. I'm grateful for those people that have, it has excited because that means that they understand the principal issue behind Facebook. Indeed. So anyway, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks again for listening. If you have a question, ask Drone You. We believe that videos, images, words, and sounds have the absolute power to inform, inspire, and entertain. We reject indecision, confusion, and vanity, for they work against the community. We are united under the virtues of safety and knowledge. We are a training community of learners and teachers who encourage and energize each other to achieve greatness. We are pilots, videographers, photographers, freelancers, business owners, enthusiasts, experts, and apprentices. We are creators. We are the Drone You.